Hey everybody, thanks for clicking in. It is so good to be with you. It's so good to be worshiping together this weekend. And we've got some exciting news here at Valley Church. A brand new book written by yours truly. Uh, we're gonna have these for sale this weekend out in the atrium. The best at being humble. Uh, this is everything I knew about humility before I knew anything about humility. This is such a good book. It's everything that I knew as a kid. And by the way, I have known how to be humble for so long. Everything I knew, reviews, uh, author information. Uh, the only problem is this thing is absolutely blank, right? I mean, this, I mean, don't we all kind of think at some point in our life that we are so humble and we know uh, how to work out all of this humility stuff, that pride isn't a problem when, you know what, it actually, it actually is. Uh, and these books, uh, they're actually bringing a little too much joy and excitement because they look kind of fun, but it's just nonsense, right? Uh, so many of us, we, we maybe pretend to be humble, but we know nothing about humility. Maybe we just don't know enough about humility. We're going to get into it today. Let me get these out of the way. Uh, as we talk about humility, we are jumping into Proverbs chapter 25. Uh, and hopefully, we're going to be able to uh, leave our time together with a little more information about humility written down on our blank pages. So if you have your YouVersion Bible app, uh, I'd love it if you'd get it out, get ready to take some notes. Proverbs 25, it opens a brand new section in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're, we're shifting from fatherly advice, shifting from words from a dad to his son to, to words of, of wisdom, wise Proverbs and actually Proverbs on leadership. These Proverbs are still written by Solomon, but the interesting thing that we see in Proverbs 25 verse 1 is that this is a collection of Proverbs by uh, another king. Check this out. Uh, these two are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of King Hezekiah of Judah copied. So we've got a new king stepping into the picture and he's sending his men out to grab more wisdom from Solomon. Hezekiah is a king of Judah. You can see it here in the text. Uh, he's a good king. Uh, king Hezekiah was known for his devotion to God. His reign was marked by acts of reform uh, and, and by acts of renewal of worship. Uh, and here's what I know. If you want to be a good king, you want to have as much wisdom as possible. If you want to be a great leader, you need wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And uh, this guy, he gets it. Uh, king Hezekiah, he chases it down from God's word and from Solomon, who has God's favor and great wisdom. Uh, you know, this verse says, uh, these two are Proverbs, which means every single thing that we've been through in the book of Proverbs was from Solomon. But uh, even though this is a collection, uh, everything moving forward is still from Solomon. And what happens is these men, we don't really know who these men are. They, they may be scribes, you know, they, they might be priests, just men assigned to, to grabbing and copying. They're, they're pulling them from some source. And, uh, and they're bringing them into the text, you know, Holy Spirit superintending the collection of these from this, this new king. Uh, you know, and by the way, Solomon spoke so many Proverbs. Uh, we don't even have access to every single good thing that Solomon said. And I'm sure he said things that weren't written down. And I'm sure he said things that were written down and they just weren't pulled into the text or they weren't pulled into the writings that we have access to. In fact, here's how I can be so confident that we don't have everything that Solomon said because the book of Proverbs only has 900 Proverbs. But look at what it says in 1 Kings 4.32. Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs 
and his songs numbered a thousand and five. Like that's so many, like 900 Proverbs. There's thousands of Proverbs still out there that we're not, uh, we haven't seen or read, you know, at least I, I haven't, none of us have. Um, you know, when we, when we think about how many songs that Solomon has written in, uh, in addition to all of the Proverbs, let me put this in perspective a little bit. Uh, you know who Bob Dylan is, right? Uh, Bob Dylan uh, probably wrote around 600 songs. That's so many songs. Uh, and, and nobody actually knows the numbers of songs written by Paul McCartney or Neil Diamond or Burt Bacharach. Maybe some of you don't even know who Burt Bacharach is but, uh, or Prince. Like all of those artists have, uh, have been estimated each to have written somewhere between 500 and 1,000 songs. And some of those songs are published and, and a lot of those songs aren't published. So it should come as no surprise that not only does Solomon have five more than maybe any of those guys have, but that some of his songs and some of his proverbs are published and, and some aren't. We've got what we need. You know, King Hezekiah collected. What I love about this is as a leader, he was pulling out things that are good for leadership. You know, uh, you know, Proverbs are here to guide our lives. They were here to guide his life too. You know, his life and his leadership. The wisdom is absolutely important to, to all of us. But aren't you kind of glad that, that people who have uh, power and authority also have like wisdom and humility? You know, think about this. When, when you have an obscene amount of power, no matter who you are, whether you're a king or a supervisor or an entrepreneur or, or an educator or a parent, what everyone around those leaders wants is for those people with an obscene amount of power to have an obscene amount of humility. You know, people desperately hope that those with power have their power under control. Not power to control. I mean, we know that as manipulation. Not, not power out of control. That's, that's dangerous. The best power is power under control. That's power with a purpose. That's, that's meekness. That's humility in action. And in this collection of Proverbs, here's what we read. Verses 6 and 7. Don't boast about yourself before the king and don't stand in the place of the great. You know, people who are prideful, they're like fighting to be at the center or fighting to be on top or fighting for the spotlight. And Solomon, he's writing, that's not good. Don't, don't like chase after a place that is not your place for it's better for him to say to you, come up here. It's better to be invited, humbly be present and be invited than it is for somebody to demote you in plain view of the noble. And you don't wanna be humiliated in front of the noble, in front of great leadership. You don't wanna be publicly humiliated. That's what Solomon is saying here. When, when we step up and put ourselves in a position that we're not called to, I don't know if you thought about it this way, but we're outside of God's plan. You know, we wanna humble ourselves. We wanna step back and let God move in. We wanna trust that he's gonna put us in the right position in the right time. We don't wanna force ourselves in position when it's not time. We don't wanna run ahead of God's plan. We wanna, we wanna wait for his promotion. And we need to understand that we serve a God who exalts the humble and he humbles those who exalt themselves. You know, humility and pride are all throughout scripture, wildly important to God. In fact. Here's two passages from scripture. They are so raw. They are so clear about how God feels about pride. One's from James chapter four, uh, and he gives grace generously. Grace 
is available in abundance from the Lord. Uh, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the, can you just think about what that means for a minute? I mean, think about like uh, the, the 1992 uh, Olympic men's basketball team. I mean, even if you weren't alive in 1992, you've heard of this undefeated team. They were just monsters. In fact, they were so incredibly good at what they were doing. It was like everyone was fighting for second place. I mean, people played hard on the court, but there was no way anybody was taking first place. Like, did you want to oppose them? I mean, maybe to say that you did, but everybody knew that you were going to lose. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble, and he has grace available in abundance. There's no, there's no great upset in this passage. Uh, there's no surprises here. I mean, maybe there is a surprise, right? Maybe the surprise is that people actually put themselves in opposition. But when you know who God is, what he's done, and what he's capable of doing, why would you oppose him? You know, how about this? Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. So not only does the Lord oppose the proud, but here's something he hates, like six, even seven things. And, and here's the list. The first one, arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Like these things are the worst. He hates these things. But number one is pride. Number one is a lack of humility. Not many things made this list, but I think it's interesting that arrogance took the first spot, which is kind of ironic because prideful people want to be first. And so here they are on this list. Number one, we don't want to misunderstand pride, all right? We don't want to miss what pride is all about. We don't want to misunderstand humility. And before we kind of get into the meat of where we're going, I just want to tell you two things that humility is not. If you're a note taker, I'd love it if you'd write this down. Humility is not giving up, all right? It's not giving up, meaning it's not resigning. It's not just, you know, just, ah, uh, I can't go anymore. In fact, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You know, humility is not just giving up. It's, it's not just quitting. It's not just pushing people in front of you and thinking that you're, you're worthless or you're worth less or you're useless. Humility isn't falsely giving people compliments in hopes that they might just give you one back. You know, it's not feeling less than everybody around you. It's true that humility takes on a low position, meaning that we don't exalt ourselves. We don't need to exalt ourselves. When, when, uh, when we learn what humility is all about, when, when we become men and women who are meek, God elevates us. He raises us up. And so thinking less of yourself isn't humility. In fact, if there's those of you who are just listening today who maybe you do think less of yourself, can I just tell you, like you are loved more than you would ever know, more than you can ever imagine. You matter. You matter so much. Like you have one life. And you want to use it to the fullest potential to, to experience the greatest measure of joy that God has created on this earth for you. You know, God put you here. God created you. Like, you matter. 
I hope that you know that. I hope that you think that you matter. Look at this. I love this. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God is the creator. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. And some of you, you might be thinking, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I was created uh, on purpose. I don't know that I matter. And I want you to know you were created on purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And some of you might go, well, Brandon, I don't, I don't know that you understand. Uh, I'm an accident. You know, my parents didn't plan me. And I would say, you're not an accident. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. And you might sit there and say, Brandon, I know I was an accident. My, my parents called me an accident. They said, look at that. There's little Timmy. He was a surprise. And I got to tell you, uh, here's what I know. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental people. Your parents may not have been planning to have you, but God created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You matter. You have value. God loves you. The church loves you. And uh, embrace the fact that God created you on purpose and for purpose. Here's the second thing humility is not, if you're taking notes. Humility is not giving up. Humility is not giving in. You don't just give in. You just don't let the pressure make you buckle and settle for that. Look at this from Proverbs 25, 26. A righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddied spring in a polluted well. Like those of us who are following Jesus, just because the pressure gets tough doesn't mean that, that, that we should give in. We don't give up on ourselves. We don't give in. We don't yield to pressure. Nobody, and by the way, think about that. Nobody wants to drink muddy water. Nobody wants to drink from a polluted well. It's contaminated. Water like that's unclear. It's not refreshing. It's gross, right? It, it's dangerous. That's what happens when you and I as followers of Jesus compromise our standards. You know, we have this idea that humility, it like maybe never rocks the boat, but you know, humility pushes back against sin. Absolutely. You know, let me, let me tell you this. When you are, are settling and yielding, it's not humility. You see, sometimes we, we confuse humility with passivity, but those are not the same thing. Humility is not uh, giving way to what's wrong. Humility is not turning a blind eye to injustice or wickedness. Humility is not about saying, well, I guess I'll just go with the flow and, and I don't want to offend anybody. You know, humility has weight. Humility uh, has weight and we want to embrace that power and authority. You know, remember, true humility is strength. It's about knowing your worth in your relationship with God. It's about knowing your worth because God created you. Yet choosing to put others before yourself, that's what humility is. Others before yourself is not an invitation to compromise. You know, we stand firm in our faith, even when the pressures of this world are up against us. So we, we strive for true humility, not, not muddied, compromised versions of humility. Humility doesn't compromise, it actually conquers. You know, humility is known for conquering evil and, and breaking bones. Can you just think uh, of breaking bones? Like, it doesn't sound like humility goes with that, but look at this, Proverbs 25, 15. A ruler can be persuaded through patience and a gentle tongue can break bones. You know, patience 
is a virtue. And, uh, you know, it, it parents so well with humility. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We talk about this fruit of the Spirit a lot. We're not going to talk about it today, though. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about this breaking bones that that is a result of true humility. There, there's a few things that said in this chapter that are pretty aggressive. I mean, you know, Proverbs, they're, they're, they're profound and they're power-filled, but the power only comes in a life that is drenched in humility. This is genuinely a kill him with kindness kind of chapter. And here's the interesting thing. Uh, think about this. Humility, strong enough to break bones. Somebody who wants to break bones, they probably haven't mastered humility. But somebody with humility at the foundation of their life, their relationships, the people they work with, their jobs, their integrity, those people carry a weight so great that it leaves a, an impression or an impact on everybody around them. Proverbs 25 shows us a dynamic power that comes with humility. I'd love it if you, you have a, a pen, paper, something somewhere. I want to give you five things. I, I, actually, these are five marks of humility that break bones. If you want to have such a dynamic level of humility that breaks bones, these five things surface in Proverbs chapter 25. They're so critical and yet they're so simple. Number one is humility digs for God's design over your desire. Uh, humility digs for God's design over your own desire. Some people study all the rules so that they can control the game. That's not what this is about. Uh, you know, so, some people push uh, into the rules so that they can, you know, plan where the pieces are going so the game goes in their favor. But it's not our job to know everything or to be in control of everything. Life is better when when we're seeking God's plan, when we're focused on his design. Look at, look at verse two of chapter 25. It is the glory of God. If your Bibles are out, underline that word glory. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to investigate a matter. This idea of glory says, you know what's good for God? Everything, God can do whatever he wants. And you know what? He's concealed some things. I mean, he's placed some like amazing treasures in his word, but he's also not told us everything there is to know. Scripture is all we need to know, but it's not everything that there is to know. And that's, that's God's prerogative. That's like God gets to do that. It is his glory to be in control. And you know what our glory is? It's to investigate. It's to learn. It's to chase after God's design. It's our glory to investigate a matter. We want to dive into God's word. We want to learn about who we are. We want to understand uh, God's design for us, not, not just chasing the desires of our own hearts. You know, God's design for our lives, uh, you know, it, it surfaces when we're in Bible studies, when, when we're in our small groups or doing devotions. We grab our, our highlighters and our colored pencils and we investigate to discover. We're, we're in our Bible. Bibles, our Bible, our study Bibles, uh, maybe our Bible handbooks, commentaries, Bible apps, online Bible resources. Like we want to study, learn, and investigate. And one of the best ways to do that, obviously, is to have a quiet time, a personal time where you just get in. And another great time to be investigators is with other people. I would encourage you to jump into a life group. We've got dynamic relationships waiting for you. You know, uh, life groups, they're going to launch in just a, a few short weeks. And I want to give you a, a little advance notice. If you would go to valley.church, you will see right there at the top, life groups. Click that banner or click that button and get in there and give us your information 
Uh, and what, what that'll do is it'll give you advanced access to all of the groups when we're ready to launch. Uh, not access now, but a week before everybody else gets the information, you will get it first. Uh, Valley.church, click life groups. And this isn't a lifetime commitment. I just wanna encourage you to try life groups because if you really wanna truly investigate what God has for us, this is one of the best places for you to start. You know, no matter how you and I are getting into God's word, no matter how we're like diving in and investigating to discover his design for our lives, uh, we wanna be intentional and we wanna be we want to be curious in such a healthy way as we investigate. God's concealed a lot of things. He's allowed us to see a lot of things, experience a lot of things. Not all the things are in Scripture, but everything that we need to know is. Here's number two of our five marks of humility that break bones. Humility is reined in. It is not ramped up. Humility isn't frantic. It's not chaotic. It's not uh, chasing or demanding the spotlight. It's reined in. Humility shows that, that we're under control, not out of control. You know, this only happens through self-control and self-control is foundational to humility. Self-control, it's not natural. I mean, it might be easier for some people than for other people, but we're not born with it. In fact, uh, really the only way to grow it is to get closer to God. The more you spend time with God, the more you spend time in his word, I promise you, the more self-control will grow inside of you. Look at Proverbs 25, 16. If you find honey, eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and you'll vomit. It's so gross. That is such a crazy thought to see anybody eating so much honey that they just lose their lunch. But you know what? It's kind of true for every single area of our life. You know, every area of our life has an appetite. And our appetites have only one word in their vocabulary. And that word is more. <laughs> more. Just, just give me more. I mean, uh, our appetites are never, think about this, our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. I mean, you sit at a table and you eat and what's going to happen about three, four, five hours later? You're going to eat again. Uh, people laugh at your jokes, right? And what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to go after more of that kind of affirmation because you want more. Or if you're living for the celebrations and the applause, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself chasing more spotlights. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. That's why we need to grow self-control inside of us. Um, it can be food. I mean, it can be, it can be things we drink. It can be sex. It can be television. It can be chocolate. It can be spending. Look at, look at verse 27. It says the same thing, basically. It's not good to eat too much honey or to seek glory after glory. It's our glory to investigate what God's design is for our life, but it is not good to continue to chase after the applause and the spotlight. And those things might come, but those things will certainly go. It's not ours to chase glory after glory after glory. It's ours to grow humble, to grow self-control because humility is reined in. Humility is not ramped up. And here's another thing to think about. Anything that is left uh, uncontrolled in your life, uh, even the good things, even things that God has created, it'll eventually destroy you. We need to get, we need to get more self-control. Here's number three of our five marks of humility that break bones. Humility uses words that build up. Control uses words that beat up. 
I mean, we, we know there's a difference between humility and control with our words, right? We want to be gentle in speech. You know this old saying, uh, maybe even right where you are, say it out loud with me. I'm going to start it off. Sticks and stones, come on, will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? I mean, you've heard it, you've lived it. That's not true. I'm telling you, it's not true. Because here's what I know. Words hurt. People have left a, an impression on me through the words in their life. Now, I'm not like debilitated. My life isn't in ruin because of those words, but they do hurt. And here's what I know. Sticks and stones rarely hurt and they rarely break my bones. Now, maybe a giant rock or, or a giant branch or tree trunk, but sticks and stones, that's nonsense. Like I could, I could deflect that all day long. People throw, like just, but words, they come right at you. Words, words can really hurt. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a room where like the emotional vibrance changes? Like you're in a meeting or maybe you're, maybe you're just in like a coffee shop and, and certain people walk in and the vibrance of the room changes. You know, some people just seem to naturally brighten a room while others don't. Uh, or maybe worse, they actually darken a room. You know, that's, that's, that's not natural. That's intentional. The person who brightens a room, that's, that's, that's a lifetime of being intentional with their words and their actions, the way they treat people, the way they speak to people is so incredibly important. And people who bring light, like you just can't wait for them to walk into the room. You gravitate towards them. And then there's people who you know are prideful, they're harsh, they're hurtful, they're all about themselves. And you just feel the burden or a weight or even maybe a darkness come into the room. Look at what Proverbs 25, 11 and 12 say. A word spoken at the right time is like a golden apple in silver settings. In other words, like a priceless golden apple on, on a silver platter, in essence. A, a good word is like that. A wise correction to a receptive ear, both of those things are so important, is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. You wanna know what's priceless? Uh, incredible wisdom, to somebody who wants to hear it. Incredible wisdom at the right time. Like, like our words matter. Humility knows how to deliver the right words at the right time. You know, we wanna be so intentional with our words because, because our words have power. James says in James chapter three, he's teaching about words and the weight of our words. And he's talking about bits in the mouth of horses and how this little tiny bit can, can steer and direct a giant horse. He even says, you know, a, a ship, even the biggest ships, the rudder, the size of their rudder that's, that's pushing them left and right, it is so minuscule in perspective of how big that giant boat is. Look what he says in, in chapter three, verse five. He says, so... Knowing that about a boat and knowing that about this little tiny piece of metal in a horse's mouth. So the tongue is a small part of the body and it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Have you ever thought about your tongue being kind of like a fire? I got to show you something. This is a watermelon. I saw this on the internet. This is so good. Uh, I haven't done this yet, so I don't know if what this is going to do. Um, anything that happens on the internet, you know, you know you've got to try this, okay? So I haven't run this by our tech team or our worship team. By the way, this is 4th of July. We're done here, right? Let's check this out. This is so, I don't, uh, 
Here we go. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze. I wish you could see the tech team who was like my camera gear right now. They're freaking out. Sets ablaze such a large forest. Okay, you didn't think I was really going to set off a firecracker, did you? That would be nonsense. But you get the idea, right? Can you see the, the damage that this fire, this tiny, this very, very tiny firecracker, it, it was a, a, a pen filled with hot glue and a wick. Um, I wish you could see everybody around this room. They're freaking out. They, they had no idea. But that's like your tongue. The anxiety and the stress that came from wondering if that firecracker was going to explode all over the place, we've got to be wise with our words. We've got to be wise with what we say. We need to be wise with, with how we say things. Humility is patiently persistent through the problems. Patience is so hard. Uh, you know, uh, constant and, and patient and not impulsive through problems. That's what humility is. You know, acting on impulse, uh, it's a setup for sin. It's a setup for failure. But patience in adversity, it, it guards us from a world of distress and humiliation. You know, it's, it's always wise to understand what's at hand before we rush into action. Look at, look at verses 8 through 10 in Proverbs 25. Don't take a matter to court hastily. Circle that. Underline that. If you've got your Bible there, highlight it. That word haste gets us into so much trouble. Don't take a matter to court hastily. Otherwise, what will you do afterwards if your opponent humiliates you? How are they going to humiliate you? Because you went in hastily. You went in without the facts. You were ambitious beyond your control. Make your case with your opponent without revealing another's secret. Otherwise, the one who hears you will disgrace you and you'll never, you'll never live it down. You know, we don't, we don't uh, just want to be humble so that we're not embarrassed. You know, embarrassment kind of happens from time to time in life, but we don't want to be fools. And the haste in our life causes us sometimes to do foolish things. Uh, when, when we set impulse aside and take time to understand what's right, we can gather all that we need to do, know so that we can do what's right. Haste isn't wise in our good intentions or out of control emotions. We don't want to be hasty. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, some of us can be hasty in our spending and some of you are so excited about Amazon Prime days. Some of you have purchased things in the last few days and you're instantly having regret thinking there's going to be a crazy sale. Here's all I would say. Guard your heart and guard your wallet. You know, you got to do it. Uh, here's number five of our five marks of humility that break bones. I mean, if you want such a deep level of humility that it carries the pressure of breaking bones, Here's number five. Humility grows through hospitality and service. This is a little surprising in the text. I don't know that we see what I'm about to read as hospitality and service, but we also read this and we're just shocked that it's even in Scripture. And I'll tell you this. Here's the deal. When you and I, when we engage in hospitality, when we dedicate ourselves and our lives to service, we're essentially setting our ego aside and saying other people matter. You know, we're saying it's not about me. It's about other people. We're placing others above ourselves. Church, that's humility. And the more you and I practice, the more that our humility grows. You know, the very 
act of opening up our home or opening up a spot on our calendar or serving a meal or buying somebody lunch and listening to their story, just spending time with them, that's not just hospitality, that's humility. That's humility and action. And the more you and I exercise it, the stronger it gets. Here's this verse. It's just outrageously surprising. Look at this. If your enemy is hungry, give him some food to eat. Are you kidding me? It's so hard to extend something I want to somebody that I might not like. But that's what scripture calls us to do. And if he's thirsty, what do you do? Give him, give him some water to drink. For you're going to heat burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. You know, service and hospitality are, are, they're like top tier level goodness. That's the, the highest of high good things. Like, how do you conquer evil? It's right here. You conquer evil with good. It's all throughout scripture. You know, uh, no one embraces this better than the person of Jesus. You know, look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Like, that's his purpose. Jesus came to serve. You and I are never more like Jesus than when we are serving. You know, these five marks of humility that break bones are so good. But breaking bones, that's not our goal. Our goal isn't to break bones. Just humility kind of carries that responsibility. It carries that weight. You know, we, we want to live such good lives that, that people want to be around us. We want to live such good lives that people see Jesus in us and that they want that in their life for themselves. While these five marks of humility carry a significant amount of power, you know, we want to use that power to be men and women who bring the good news to lost and hurting people. This is the last verse from chapter 25 we're going to go through today. Good news from a distant land is like cold water to a parched throat. And a righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddied spring and a polluted well. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to bring good news, but not just any good news, the good news. You know, it's really hard to hear good news from people who just don't seem good. None of us want to hear good news from people who just don't seem good. You know, two people can come and give me the best advice in the world. They can be giving me the same exact advice. And it's so hard to hear good advice from, from people you don't believe have your best interest in mind, but always have their own interest in mind. Uh, it's hard to hear when, when that good advice might be coming from arrogant people. Don't you want your advice? Don't you want your words to matter? You know, these five marks of humility that break bones, they lead to a humility that God wants to use. But as followers of Jesus, we don't wield the power that is given to intentionally break bones. We want to use that humility. We want to use everything that God has given us to break that hard shell around people's hearts so they can hear the good news of Jesus, a Savior who loves them and wants a relationship with them. That's just not good news. That is the good news. I love you guys, and I hope you have a, a great week. I hope this message has been encouraging and has given you something to think about. Uh, spend time in chapter 25 of Proverbs this week to, uh, to just maybe get it a little deeper, to grab a little more. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Thanks for your encouragement through your word. Continue to grow us up, Lord. We need you and we need to grow our humility, all for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. Love you.